This is Transistor, a science series from PRX. This is Totally Cerebral, part of Transistor from PRX, supported by the Sloan Foundation. I'm Dr. Wendy Suzuki. All right. I often ask who is more excited the first day of class, the students or the teacher? Who do you think? Do you get excited coming to class? <laughs> I get excited coming to class. I was a freshman at UC Berkeley, and I was taking uh, a class that first semester of my freshman year. It was a freshman honors seminar. And so there were only about 15 students in the class. And the class was called The Brain and Its Potential. It was taught by an amazing instructor. My name is Marion Diamond. And I've been teaching here for many decades <laughs> because I love to awaken students to anatomy. And she told us all about the brain. In fact, that very first day, I'll never forget, she was standing in front of the classroom. And um, first of all, she looked like a Hollywood movie star. She had this blonde bouffant hairdo. She was very tall, very beautiful woman with a white lab coat over a beautiful skirt and, and blouse. And in front of her on the table was a flowery hat box. Now... Do you know what the most complex mass of protoplasm on this earth is? What do you think it would be? She opened that hat box very dramatically and she pulled out a real preserved human brain. A brain, sure, without a doubt. Can anybody tell me anything more complex than the human brain? For a little freshman at UC Berkeley who had never seen a, a human brain before, that was one of the most memorable moments of my entire college career. I want you to appreciate what you carry in the top of your heads, because this mass only weighs three pounds, and yet it has the capacity to conceive of a universe a billion light years across. Now, isn't that phenomenal? It really is the most complex structure known to mankind. It underlies our creativity and our personalities. And not only that, but it can grow and change in response to the environment. It is a phenomenal mass. And it's housed in a human body. They have a symbiotic relationship. The brain affects the body. The body affects the brain. And with all of that, I was agog and just thought, this is the most exciting, interesting, fascinating thing I've ever heard of. I'm so glad I'm in college. I want to be a neuroscientist. Marion Diamond was, well, to this day, she's the best teacher that I've ever experienced in my, in my entire career. And it's because she, she was so present and engaged and fascinated, truly fascinated with the material that she was presenting. She has the flair for the dramatic, and she wrote everything on the chalkboard. She said it was because if I write it down, you're going to write it down, and that gets it into your memory. And so at the end of the class, you're, you, you've already 
learned most of what you need to learn. I have to tell you why I still use chalkboard and do not use PowerPoint, because I've studied learning mechanisms long enough to know that it takes time to take in the primary information and associate it. I feel if I just flash on things like this, you don't get it. If you write, you use your kinesthetic sense. That's one way. It slows me down, it slows you down, and I also repeat all the time, because we know repeating reinforces. So we're using things that have been shown for learning rather than just keeping up with the technology. At the beginning, I was captivated with the neuroscience experiments that Marion Diamond herself described and she had done. So she did these classic studies in the 1960s showing what happens to the brains of rats if they were raised in what they called enriched environments. So an enriched environment is an environment where rats had lots of toys to play with and lots of other rats to play with in a much bigger space. And you can think of it kind of like the Disney world of environments. And what she showed was the brains of rats raised in those enriched environments were actually bigger. The outer covering of the brain called the cortex actually grew significantly larger compared to rats that were raised in impoverished environments where there was only one one rat in a cage with no toys. So we decided to publish it. And I spoke to the American Association of Anatomists the first big conference that I had ever spoken at, there weren't too many women on the agenda. When I finished, a man in the back row, I mean, it was a big auditorium, stood up and shouted, young lady, that brain cannot change. Nobody had thought that you could have an enriched environment specifically change a brain, and an impoverished one change a brain. This was a first. Nobody else had made such measurements and found these results. We were terribly excited about it. Her work in this environmental enrichment and brain plasticity was so influential on me. I was fascinated both with the brain and with brain plasticity. And so when I went to graduate school, I definitely was was drawn to other forms of experiments that, that addressed brain plasticity. And my form of brain plasticity that I became fascinated with in graduate school was memory everyday brain plasticity. If I learn something new, if I learn the name of somebody new, and I'm able to remember it sometime later, my brain has changed. And I wanted to try and understand what that change was and really identify it. It's, it's funny, um, physiology, that is recording from brain cells, you have to say is a little bit like fishing. You don't know exactly what's there. I know the hippocampus is involved. I don't know what I'm going to find there. So I, I put my little fishing rod, which is a very, very thin microelectrode, down into the hippocampus so I can listen in on what these cells are doing. I would be listening to a cell as an animal was starting to learn something new, and the cell wouldn't be doing much of anything. It would just be firing every once in a while that I could hear on the audio monitor. But then, one day, 
I noticed that just as the animal started to learn a particular association, this cell that was on the end of my electrode started to fire more and more consistently right as the animal was learning this and continued the fire as the animal really put it into his memory more, more and more strongly. We call that consolidating the memory. He got better and better. And by the end of the session, he was performing that association at 100% correct. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe I was hearing things. But then I went back and analyzed the data. And what I saw is that this cell in about 20% of all the cells that are recorded from in the hippocampus would change dramatically just as the animal was learning a new association. Once I got used to it, I could actually hear this happening. And listening to those cells and being able to identify them as we listened to them was kind of like listening to the birth of a new memory. It was so exciting to find these cells. Again, it was a little bit like fishing. I didn't know whether I was going to catch a tiny little fish or a big fish. It turned out to be a pretty big fish because this was the finding that got me tenure at New York University. It was very, very important kind of professionally for me, but just so exciting because it literally took five years to get this experiment off the ground, to get the animals to learn and to be able to get the recordings to work. And even then, after everything was working, we didn't know what we were going to get. That doesn't guarantee success. But I have to say that I realized at that point that there was something amiss. I had turned into my own lab rat, just going from my home to work and, and working, working really hard to get all this work done and going back home and going to sleep. And, you know, I was living in New York City and there was so much out there and I was taking advantage of none of it. Not only that, I was about 20 pounds overweight because of the amazing takeout food in New York. And I realized at some point that I needed to rebalance my life in lots of different ways. And I marched straight to the new gym that opened up not too far away from my work. And I signed up. And I signed up for a personal trainer too to make sure that I would come to the gym and get my workouts in. And that was the best thing that I could do. It was amazing. You start training regularly and your body responds, just like the brain put the brain in a new environment, it responds. That's what I learned in Marion Diamond's lab. And I was learning on my own, the hard way, <laughs> that you put yourself in this situation and your body responds. It did so actually beautifully. And I ended up um, losing 25 pounds and I felt great. That goes for the brain as well as for muscles. You use it or you lose it. Use it or lose it. With use, you grow branches. With disuse, sitting around doing nothing, you lose it. Right, left, right, left. Everybody do it with me. Right, left, right, left. And I say, I am Superman strong. You say it. I am Superman strong. I say, I am. I found this workout that I loved, and this is a, uh, a workout that combines physical movements from kickboxing and dance and yoga with positive spoken affirmations. So you yell things out like, I believe I will succeed and I am strong now. Super duper strong. You. I am super duper strong. 
I loved it so much that I learned how to teach it myself. Okay, deep knees. And once I got to this kind of higher level of working out regularly, something quite amazing happened. I noticed changes in my brain. What did I notice first? Well, the first thing I noticed was mood. My mood was just sky high. And we know that this is happening because exercise enhances neurotransmitters that increase your mood. Neurotransmitters like serotonin and noradrenaline and dopamine, the neurotransmitter important for reward. But it wasn't just that. I noticed that my memory was better. I was able to pull things out of my memory and put them together and new new and interesting ways better than I had before. And my attention was definitely better. I could pay attention longer and stronger throughout the day. So we know that exercise um, can change mood. Um, exercise is shifting uh, and increasing certain neurochemicals and neurotrophins, growth factors in the hippocampus that enhance the birth of brand new brain cells in the hippocampus, which should blow everybody's mind. It blew my mind when it became clear from the rodent literature that exercise can speed up the birth. It gives you more brand new hippocampal cells, and those hippocampal cells live longer and, and um, incorporate into your hippocampus. I know how important the hippocampus is for memory, and I want as many new hippocampal cells as I can get. Here we ask, what do you want in your life? What are you working for? I say, I want it, I want it, I really, really want it. You! I want it, I want it, I really, really want it. Do you want it, do you want it, do you really, really want it? I want it, I want it, I really, really want it. What is the mechanism? that physical exercise that is moving your body and, and getting your muscles active and getting a sweat up and getting your cardiorespiratory rate up, how exactly is that changing your brain? I've told you about correlations. You exercise and you get increases in neurotrophins and increases in different neurotransmitters. We still don't know exactly why they're going up. And that is a fascinating question. And so my dream lab is to have um, multi-level questions being asked. At the human level, we're going to be doing these behavioral studies and identifying the tasks and also looking at the patterns of brain activity using functional magnetic resonance imaging to show how the brain is changing after exercise, but have collaborators doing work in rodents and other species. So you can ask those questions about what are the factors from the body that are affecting the brain? It's, it's, it's a real mind-body kind of question that I think is so fascinating. And I want to be able to put those levels of questions together in um, this kind of new direction that I'm going. So as I became more interested in the effects of exercise on brain function, I went back to look at the literature to try and understand where these findings had originated. And I realized that these findings came directly from Marion Diamond's original observations that when you raise rats in enriched environments, their brains get bigger and stronger and have more neurotransmitters. Those original studies that inspired me as a freshman. It turns out that we later found that a key component of those enriched environments that were making all of those 
amazing brain changes was the increased exercise that the animals got in the enriched environments. So when I realized that, it was like a sign. It felt like I was coming home to my original love in neuroscience, and I knew that that was the right scientific question for me. Marion Diamond has not only influenced my science, but she's profoundly influenced my teaching as well. I've now taught hundreds of students in an introductory neuroscience course, and I have to tell you, I have my own hat box now. And every time I lift that brain out of the hat box, I bring Marion into my classroom. You've been listening to Totally Cerebral from PRX, produced by Julie Burstein, with editing and sound design by Derek John. Location recording by David Gorin in New York. We've had production assistance today from Nell Waksberger. Our executive producer is John Barth, and we've had help from Genevieve Sponsler and Lily Bowie. This episode was recorded at Argo Studios in New York City. Many thanks to Luna Productions for allowing us to use excerpts from their documentary film and web series, My Love Affair with the Brain, The Life and Science of Dr. Marion Diamond, which you can see at lunaproductions.com. And I wanted to let you know about my new book that has just been published. It's called Healthy Brain, Happy Life, and it's from Day Street Books at HarperCollins. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Dr. Wendy Suzuki.